If you will open your Bibles to Romans chapter 14, we're going to read verses 9 through 13 again. For those of you visiting with us, we are in a series of messages entitled, A Clear Conscience Toward God and Men. The issue of conscience is vital to the Christian life. And yet, tragically, that subject is often neglected in the preaching of God's Word. Deeply grateful for those who have given time to it over the years. We have been considering both Romans 14, parts of chapter 15... 1 Corinthians chapter 8 through 10, focusing on the matter of conscience and as an extended footnote to the matter of conscience, we are considering stumbling blocks. We will talk more about that as we take up the subject, including defining that term and what it means. So if you will stand with me once more, we're going to read Romans 14, beginning in verse 9. Brethren, let us give our hearts and minds soberly, joyfully to hearing the word of God. Romans 14, verse 9. This is... God's word. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not, therefore, judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's Way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, I've read down to verse 15 because this is directly connected to verse 13. <clears throat> 13 is once again where we will be focused this morning. The idea of putting a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in a brother's way is set right here before us in plain language. If thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. You're not walking in love. Destroy not him with thy meat, 
for whom Christ died. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's unite our hearts in prayer at the throne of grace. Who is a pardoning God like thee? Thou dost see us in our weakness, our feebleness, our sinfulness. And yet in that greatest gift of all, thy precious Son and his blood on our behalf, thou dost save and cleanse and sanctify thy people. Oh, how we praise thee this day. Father, were this to be our last day on earth, may we be found praising our God, magnifying him throughout the day. How we thank thee for this blessed day. How we thank thee for the Lord's day. How we thank thee for thy people that sanctify it, that set it apart and worship and adore thee throughout the day. All other things put aside, the glory of our God set before us, the fellowship of the saints, the doing of good works on behalf of the souls and bodies of men and women. Oh God, may we use this day to the fullest to thy glory. Father, while the world basks in its fleshly lusts, we plead we plead that thou wouldst visit us By thy spirit. There is no one like thee. There is no pardoning God like thee. Thou hast given us. The precious grace. Mercy. And love. In the blood of thy son. A gift beyond our ability to comprehend. But we thank thee. For every thought. Of Christ's blood. Washing away our sins and defilement. Forgive us, O Lord, when we do not live in the joy of thy redemption. Now, Father, here are thy people. They are gathered before thee this morning. Some of them are filled with joy, perhaps joy unspeakable. Some of them are struggling hard with sin, perhaps failing too often. Oh, Father, lift their hearts 
to the great King of kings and Lord of lords. The blessed gift of redemption seated at the Father's right hand. The mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Our prophet, our priest, our king. Our holy propitiation. Our satisfaction. I pray, O righteous Christ, look at thy bride. I do not know what we look like to thee. But I do know that thy father sees us dressed in thy robes of righteousness. Forgive us of our many sins as thy people. Forgive us. We have let a country where Christ was once freely mentioned to become a nation of media enslaved prisoners. O oh God, may thy free people rise up in praise in adoration, and in heartfelt worship, obedience in the name of Christ. Make us a holy people. Make us a praying people. Lord, how I pray that our families, our neighborhood, our cities, our nation, hears of the glory and beauty of Jesus Christ the Lord from our lips, from our ministries, from our lives. Lord, there are those here that are lost. Thou seest them. Thou knowest them. I plead with all of my heart. Lord, thou hast told us that we can move mountains. There are some mountains of unbelief here. Move them. Father, open the hearts of the lost. Oh, you did it with Lydia, and she attended to the things that Paul preached. Do it again. Thou hast not changed. There are those here who resist every plea to repent and turn to Christ. Worse, some hold on to a profession that will burn in hell with them, except they turn to Christ. Oh, my Father, come with the mighty, regenerating Spirit. Open the hearts of men and women and children. And for thy dear people, oh, may their hearts be filled with love. Kindle a burning love in our souls. For Christ the Lord, for Christ, the fountain of life, the fountain of love.
Oh, let us taste it today. And oh, Father, how I pray that our hearts would be stirred to take up our crosses, follow after Christ. Father, I pray for these young people, those that know thee, preserve them from the love of the world. It waits to swallow them. Give them discernment. It's needed. Give them wisdom. It's needed. Fill them with the mighty power of thy spirit. And may they love thy word. May they devour thy word. May they understand thy word. May they obey thy word. And may they bring glory to Christ with their lives. Father, how I pray the same for the older saints of God here. Every father, every mother, every husband, every wife, every single individual. How I pray, O oh Christ, in a day of utter confusion and perversion, that thou will teach us to love again, that thou hast made them male and female. Oh God, may we love thy truth and walk in it. Give us, shape for us, fashion for us godly men and virtuous women. And may we bring up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, oh God, pour out thy spirit. Come, O oh Christ. Come, O heavenly bridegroom, come into thy garden and love thy bride. May every regenerate soul cry, O oh, he whom my soul loveth. May thy banner over us this day be love. And may all that we say and do bring glory and praise and honor to thee. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The Lord Jesus Christ tells us that whoever stumbles a believer commits a most despicable sin. By faith in Christ, informed by Scripture, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we should avoid it. We should avoid stumbling anyone but especially Christ's blood-bought people. Why should that even be a matter in a book that talks about love and that we should all love one another and that God loves us? Those things are true. But with God's love comes responsibility. He has saved us for us to walk with Him. That means according 
to his word. Whenever we step outside of the beautiful boundaries of his word, we are inviting not only sin in our own life, but stumbling others. To avoid stumbling others, especially other believers, first we must remember what a stumbling block is. It is something said or done in a way that leads someone else to sin or that hinders their spiritual life. Stumbling blocks are not always something done on purpose. As a matter of fact, as we will spend some time later on, we can do what we think is good while we're stumbling others into sin. Or at the very least, setting that temptation before them. Secondly, we must apply to ourselves three things that Jesus said. One, love one another as I have loved you. Two, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. Number three, whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Now stop and think with me for just a moment. If we took all three of these things and God, by His Spirit, stamped them in our hearts. We believe them with all of our hearts. What would it do to marriages? What would it do to marriages? What would it do to churches? What would a church that really practices this, what would it look like? Do we know? Can we say... Boy, that's me. Boy, that's, that is we. Right? Maybe not. Do you take these passages seriously? Do you believe that Christ spoke them? And do you believe with all your heart that he wants you to do them? With your strength, your might. The Bible is not just a nice book where I can go every now and then if I'm bummed out, right? This is about how to live daily in the kingdom of God. And the Lord who gave his son for us wants our lives conformed to this. Thirdly, remember three questions that help us to evaluate whether we should or should not do something. Is it a command? Number one. Then you must do it. Emphasis on that four-letter word, must. Number two, is it lawful? You can do it. Number three, is it a conscience controversy? 
The strong must deny themselves and love the weak. Beginning with me, I ask us all again, do you believe that? Does your life say, well, I think I understand these things and I'm going to give myself for the edification of the weak, the people that disagree with me? Or do you shuffle them off into the probably not Christians category? Do you believe this? Do I believe the word of God? What will our lives look like if we really do? Fourthly, love for Christ and his people must prevail in our hearts. Love for Christ and love for his people. I've heard people say, I don't have any problem loving Christ. But his people are a different matter. Well, you can't love Christ without loving his people. He commands us to love them just like he did. That means we must all know the love of Christ. How does Christ love me? Where do I find that out? Where do I learn that and how do I experience it? Important questions. The love for Christ and his people must prevail in our hearts. Now with that review in mind, the title of our message is Stumbling Your Family. This will be part one. I thought it would just be one message. Once again, I was living in hope, but not reality. <clears throat> so the title of our message is Stumbling Your Family. We have spent time working through expositions, brief expositions of the chapters in Romans and 1 Corinthians that inform us primarily about these matters. So we're working on practical applications. <clears throat> Don't stumble the Lord's people until <clears throat> we want to start with your family. May the Lord, in fact, may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I want that this morning. I hope you do. The eyes of our understanding being enlightened. Remember, the apostles walked with Christ for three and a half years. After his resurrection, he still had to open their minds to understand the scripture. We need Christ to do that for us today. That's what we're praying for. The eyes of our understanding being enlightened that we may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints 
And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. May God grant it this morning. So we have one major head and this will unfold in several parts. In what ways can we stumble others? Well, I think if if you've ever even given a a few moments thought, you realize you can't put a number on that. Right? You can stumble people about anything. Depending on who does it, when it's done, where it's done, how it's done, why it was done. Something good can actually stumble someone else. And we have to think about the context and the ways that we speak toward others and the things that we do because it's all impacting the people around us. And who will our lifestyle impact more than anybody else? People we live with, our family. Romans chapter 14, verse 13 says, But judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or any occasion to fall in his brother's way. That's pretty comprehensive. He doesn't say, well, look, you know, (laughs) none of us are perfect, right? Ever said that? None of us are perfect. So um, I can stumble people 25% of the time. As long as I'm like 75% okay. Are you good with that? Do you think God's good with that? You might be thinking. Are you you saying that we've got to be perfect? Well, yes and no. (laughs) We're to give our hearts and minds to walk according to the word of God. We're to do that in the power of the spirit of God. And we're certainly to manifest it to the people of God. No one will be perfect in this lifetime. But that is not an excuse to live loosely. Don't put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in your brother's way. Likewise, to the Corinthians, Paul said... But take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Once again, even in Corinthians, in the Corinthian epistles, Paul is saying to the strong, you're the ones with the major responsibility here toward the weak. Yes, but they disagree with me. Well, that's not going to work. The Lord's saying, uh, in, as a matter of fact, in a conscience controversy, uh, there's there certainly going to be people that disagree with you. It isn't an open and shut thing in one instance, generally speaking. Something needs to be talked about. Something needs to be prayed about. Something that needs to be examined. 
Now, in both contexts, Romans and 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing conscience controversies. He's not dealing with primary doctrine. He's not dealing with secondary doctrine. He is dealing with conscience controversies. But the principle itself is general. The principles that we will consider are general. We must not put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in a believer's way under any circumstance. And when we do, let me say, because I'm not going to lay any odds on how far I get today. Let me say to you, what follows any failure in that should be repentance as quickly as possible. And looking to the Lord Jesus Christ and getting straight with whomever you have stumbled. I was once very encouraged to hear of two people that were struggling over a particular matter. And one of them said to the other... Could we study this subject together until either you or I come to a conclusion of what is right or wrong in this? That is mature Christian thinking. Can't do it about everything. But there are some things that we certainly must do just like that. So, we must not cause believers to stumble, but we must not cause unbelievers to fall into sin or hinder their coming to Christ. We will not get to unbelievers today. We're just going to be looking at the family and we're not going to do everything that we could do about the family. But the point of that is that we must grasp that a stumbling block is not something that you or I do maybe once every three or four years. It might even be daily for some of us, depending on who and when And why and where and how it was said or it was done. Paul makes this notion of of not stumbling the unbeliever clear in 1 Corinthians 9 and 10. He says, I am made all things to all men. That's pretty expansive. I am made all things to all men. That I might by all means save some. Paul is thinking about others. Not himself. Paul is saying my life will be spent. Saying well if I'm with the Jews. 
I'm going to act like a Jew because I want to win the Jews. And with the Gentiles, uh, I will live like the Gentiles. I'll sit down, I'll eat their food to win them for Christ. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Who's he thinking about? Others. Edifying others. All things don't edify. And what are we commanded as believers to do? Edify one another. It's a command. We must do it. it doesn't, that doesn't fall into the category of, well, it's lawful. We can do it. No, no, this is an M-U-S-T. Build up God's people. And the way you do that is the way Christ did. You deny yourself. This culture is not going to teach you that. It's all about me. It's about me time. I think it's still in print. Or still being published. But you know where else but in America would you have a magazine entitled self I want a subscription to that I'm all about making me the best version of me Christ wants us to help God's people to be like him that's the best version of anybody it's not just plundering your inner person, whatever that happens to be, and becoming self. That's actually a pagan notion. There's that spark of divinity within me. I can do it. If it's to be, it's up to me. These are the lies you and I brought up with. If you're in the workplace, you hear them like a mantra. But, but the word of God, and beginning with its revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, is all about others. From one syllable to two. <laughs> Me or others. It's others. The second is likened to it. Love thy neighbor as thyself. <clears throat> you don't have to learn how to love yourself. You already know how to do that. You came into this world knowing how to do that. So, <clears throat> all things are lawful for me, for me, says Paul, but all things edify not. No, let no man seek his own. Let no man seek his own. But every man another's wealth now the word wealth here is not the idea of money that's easy for us to uh, read in our day it's an older use of the word which means his well-being it means his well-being let every man every man seek the wealth the the, the goodwill the commonwealth the well-being of others 
That's a command. It's a must. It's just another way of saying love another. Love one another as I've loved you. So let us consider how we may stumble others in our family. And in... When we continue this series, we'll consider in the Christian life and in our congregations, in relation to government and outside the church. Lastly, we will consider pastors and elders can stumble Christ's people. So in this message... We will, contend, uh, we will consider, or be, we will begin to consider how we can stumble others in our family. Now, some of us can probably imagine uh, some of those things, right? We probably don't have to dig too deeply to think, mm, I've put other occasions of sin before uh, my spouse or my children, or I have sinned against them and not repented. And so they think this is okay to do. When, when and where did stumbling the members of our family enter human history? The first and great act of stumbling another into sin came in the first family. Adam and Eve, husband and wife. This was the womb out of which stumbling others came. So let's consider first stumbling your spouse. That's where it started. You ever thought about that? Stumbling your spouse. Most of us know the story, do we not? God had given Adam his word before Eve was created. He was the responsible party to oversee obedience to it. Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, God said. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Notice that adverb. Surely. That was God's word for Adam. There was no Christian bookstore or Jewish bookstore or bookstore period. There weren't any books at that point. But that command was the word of God for Adam and Eve. It was the word of God. The revelation of God's will. Later, that word would be for Eve. It was, if I can put it this way, it was their Bible. Obedience to God's word had life or death consequences. But a sinful serpent entered the garden. He could not be satisfied until he seduced God's image bearers. 
That was the desire associated with his view. Remember that clause that we used last week? The desire that was associated with the way he saw things. I can't even put it this way. It was Satan's theology. But there was a desire that arose from the way he saw things. Are you with me on that? You get that? So what was that desire? He wanted Adam and Eve to fall into sin. Because he had. He wanted them in his condition. He went after the image bearers of God. Because he is God's enemy. That was the desire associated with his view. He wanted Adam and Eve to sin. So he pursued his desire. He set a stumbling block before Eve. Ye shall not surely die. Direct contradiction to the word of God. Now Satan doesn't always do it that way. Sometimes he just distorts the use of the word of God as he did with Christ in his temptation. That's for a later message. But here he directly contradicts what God has commanded. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Wait a minute. This is the introduction of another worldview. This is a different worldview. Adam was told to obey God. See this tree? You can't eat of that one. You can eat all of the rest from all of the rest. But you can't eat that one. It wasn't because the tree was poisonous. It wasn't because the tree was ugly. It wasn't because the tree was mm, a little impractical and all the rest of them were very useful. It was because God said so. That's it. That's the whole point. Don't do this. And now Satan says, well, you're not going to die. I know what God said, but that's not the case. That's another worldview. It's not just a lie. It's a world where you don't have to obey God. You understand? God gave a word. It was a life-giving word, but there were consequences to not walking in it. Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. The devil's stumbling block worked. 
Eve had been taught God's command. Now, I want you to follow with me very closely for the next few minutes. Because most of everything else I've got to say is going to be built on this. Eve had been taught God's command. She wasn't ignorant. But when she saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. She embraced that other worldview. I don't have to obey what God said. In fact, he's holding out on us. We can't eat of that tree. When they could eat out of all the other trees, what was the focus? That tree where God said no. Now, she took on a new worldview. And her new worldview changed her desires. If we look closely, we can see a pattern in Eve's sin. One, she knew what God's word said. Two, she laid it aside for her desires. Three, she fell into sin. Four, she suffered the consequences. Eve stumbled and fell. She knew God's command, but she laid it aside for her desire. Do we all understand when Satan had that conversation with her, what he was doing was setting a stumbling block before her. And she tripped on it. And she plummeted into the darkness of sin. So I'll repeat this pattern. She knew what the word, what, uh, she knew what God's word said. Number two, she laid it aside for her desires. Her desires had been changed from honoring the one that made her, made her into satisfying herself. Do you see that? Not being overly subtle here. This is what's happening. Okay. Number three, she fell into sin and four, she suffered the consequences. <clears throat> she laid God's word aside for her desire. And you and I do the same thing. If you don't believe that, you don't know your own heart. She was now self-justified in her view. And she wanted her husband to be part of it. She didn't fall on her face and say, I've sinned against God. He told us not to eat of the tree. I just did it. Adam, Adam, help me. Help. I've failed. Let's go to God. Let's see if we can get this worked out. No, she now wanted him involved where she was. That's what Satan did to her. And that's what she did to him. 
she wanted her husband to be part of this. In other words, she now pursued the desire associated with her view. She wanted Adam to desire the same. She gave also unto her husband with her. She knew what she wanted and she pursued it until she had it. And he did eat. That's what, that's what she wanted. That's what she got. That's what she went for because she believed the way she understood things was now the right. Now, eating good food is not wrong. Enjoying the beauty of something is not wrong. Desiring to be wise is not wrong. But disobeying God's word is always wrong. It wasn't wrong for her to desire this. Just like it's not wrong to want to be married. But how you go about it can be a stumbling block. It can be a stumbling block that you trip yourself on. It can be a stumbling block to those around you. It might even be a stumbling block to your congregation. So, certain desires in and of themselves are not wrong, but they can become a stumbling block depending on who did it, when, how, why, where. Disobeying God's word always has consequences. Always. The thing that trips us up is that he doesn't always deal with us immediately. The serpent had stumbled into sin. He put a stumbling block before Eve. Eve stumbled into sin. She put a stumbling block before Adam. Adam stumbled into sin and the entire human race stumbled into sin. Do you understand that the nightmare that you see out there today is rooted right here in a wife that stumbled her husband? There's no attack against women. Plainly and simply, this is the text. Satan went after her and she became the instrument by which her husband fell. He knew better without any hesitation. Adam stumbled into sin and there was a consequence to it. Death. Romans 5, 12 and 1 Corinthians 15, 22 declare that. 
As by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. In Adam, all die. It doesn't say in Eve. It says in Adam. Why? Because God gave him the word first. And he had the responsibility as the head to make sure that those with him walked in that word. Every stumbling block, listen, every stumbling block in the history of the world was birthed in the moment of Adam's sin. Every dysfunctional family in history was birthed in that dreadful moment. Every abusive spouse was birthed in that moment. Every abusive parent was birthed in that moment. Every abusive child was birthed in that moment. And every family sin was birthed in that moment. Adam's sin was like the sermon of the serpent's Venom coursing through the body. That sin has poisoned every human life that has followed. Every human life except for Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope for saving and rebuilding families. But even Christian Households are not immune to setting stumbling blocks before their members. Intentionally or unintentionally. Now consider this illustration. Christ commanded through the mouth of Paul, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy. Uh, what? What did Christ love his bride to do? To make his bride Holy. And that's the model for every husband in this room. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So, let me ask. Do you know how Christ loved and loves his church? If you don't give yourself to thinking about it, how's that going to affect your relationship with your wife? If you've not looked at the life of Christ, looked at him in prayer, looked at him in worship, looked at him dealing in goodness and kindness and generosity with, with every sort of person. And he loved even a fool such as I. Or you. 
Do you know that love well enough so that you can manifest it? It's not a hobby. It's not a suggestion. It's not an option. Oh, well, I'm saved by grace. You were saved by grace to do this. You were not saved by grace so that you can just go on and turn your, your back on those commands that, you know, oh, that's kind of hard. I don't know how I'm going to do that. No! God has given you a new heart. He's given you His Spirit. He's given you His Word so that you will obey the God of heaven and earth. Because Adam didn't. And it brought every heartache, every sorrow, every rape, every molestation, every murder, every lie into this world. And it's bad enough that people just do these things. They want other people to do it with them. And you know this. You need to know, you need to experience, you need a biblical understanding of God and his love in Christ or you can't obey that command, which means you're living in rebellion. That not so? Husbands, we all need to be listening. And aware. Husbands. Do you give yourselves. Sacrificially for your wife. That's what Christ did for his bride. He gave himself. Sacrificially. Husbands. Do you love your wife. With a selfless love. Or does she just exist to make you happy? What's she there for? Well, I was lonely. Lonely's not a great thing, generally speaking. There are some people that handle it well and can be single. But we were made to be married. So it's not wrong to have a wife. But how you get her may matter significantly. And how you go about treating that one you finally marry is very important. You know why? Because there's always consequence for not obeying the Lord. Husbands, do you deny yourself for your wife's well-being. You understand with each of these questions, we're talking about how you can stumble your wife. You can cause her to sin or give the occasion for her to sin, or you may completely hinder her walking with the Lord. Do you treat her like your queen? Or your slave. How do you treat her? Well, you're going to have to look at Christ and see how he treats his bride. 
Is that not so? How are you going to obey what Christ has commanded? Do you treat her? Do you provide for her physically and spiritually? There are a lot of men that think all they need to do is get up, go in, do their work at the end of the week or every other week, bring their paycheck home. And hey, they've loved their wives. But providing for your wife is a vital thing. But what she needs is far more than just your paycheck. She needs love of the caliber that Christ showed. It's an others-oriented love. It's not a selfish thing. It's a self-denying thing. When we're not doing that, something's wrong. Something's very wrong. Let me ask you. We're thankful for every good provider. My dad was a lost man. He was a good provider, and I'm thankful to the Lord that he was. I'm not downing a good provider, but what I am saying is that biblically, that's not all. Christ's love is immense. It's glorious beyond words. It's a big, a beautiful, and edifying thing. Very often, spouses don't think of each other as fellow Christians. They think of each other as husband and wife. But they don't stop to think, that woman that I married, that man that I married, we're both professing to be Christians. The Bible is full of these one another verses. Are we applying them to each other? One another, one another, one another. There's a lot of them. That's exactly the kind of love we should be showing. That's why so many examples of that are given. Do you nurture, men, do you nurture your wife's soul? Oh, no, I take her to church for that. That may be a one or two day A weak thing. And for many unfortunately. It's generally just a Sunday morning thing. How are you going to live. Loving your wife. Seven days a week. With an hour and a half sermon. That's not going to work. And while you're perhaps doing work. And she's at the house. Or maybe she's doing something else. When you're together. Is it just about yourselves or is it about exalting Christ in your home? Let's hear our confession. This is chapter 22, the second part of of paragraph 6. It says, God is to be worshipped everywhere. Oh, that's... Pretty comprehensive, isn't it? God is to be worshipped everywhere in spirit and in truth 
as in private families daily. Now, every person that's a member here agreed to that. You covenanted with this congregation that daily God would be worshipped in your house. And who's in charge of that? Every Adam that's here. Every man that is the head of his home. Your responsibility is not only to feed. That's important. Your responsibility is not only to clothe. That's important. Your, your responsibility to shelter is very important. But that immortal soul is to be built up, is to be edified, is to be encouraged. God is to be worshipped everywhere in spirit and in truth, as in private families daily. Now let me ask you, when you covenant, this is an important one, when you covenant before God, and say, I'm going to do this. If you're not doing this, what does that make you? I want you to answer that in your own heart. If someone says, I'm going to do this for you, and they don't ever do it, what do you think of them? Husbands, love your wives. Well, I'm busy. Yeah, you're too busy for me, too, says Christ. Husbands, love your wife. You're setting stumbling blocks before them. Listen. You look at that verse. You see it in the Word of God. It is a command. It's a must work. What are you doing to obey that? It isn't just a paycheck. It includes making sure that that precious one who is your partner on the journey to the celestial city is cared for not only physically, but spiritually. Yes, I'm a, I'm a professing Christian man. I come home in the evening. My wife is laboring along with our children, and she sure better have dinner on time. She's asked if we could do family worship. But, you know, I work really hard, and I'm tired when I get home. I'm busy, the American religion. You have a responsibility before God and to your congregation. If you're not being faithful in that, what do you think the spiritual temperature of your congregation is? Are you a worship killer? You don't want to put a stumbling block in front of your wife. You want to build her up. You want to love her and encourage her. We're not Christ, but we're in union with Christ. We're not Christ, but we have the spirit of Christ. 
We're not Christ, but we have the word of Christ. You've been given the tools, and the Holy Spirit will give you the skill set to do what you need to do. Now, let's go back to Eve's pattern. She knew what God's word said, but she laid it aside for her desires. You're substituting something other than Christ in the place of Christ if you're not obeying him in this. And she fell into sin. And there were consequences. Do you think your family is, quote, safe and healthy because you drop into church once in a while? Or is your family weak, feeble, limited as it is, growing because you're praying for them daily? Because you're having worship with them daily. You are reading the Word of God together, reading a good, sound, solid, Christ-centered book together. You are praying for each other mutually. Or you're in your room watching pornography on the computer. Or you just got more busy stuff to do. Or, and then you can, you can fit your own blank with your own personal rebellion but you've been commanded to love your wife. And if you know the love of Christ, you can show it. I surely don't do it perfectly in my house. I had to ask my wife forgiveness this morning. She will tell you he's not perfect. But I can tell you this. The Lord can take the most backward human being and start shaping him to be like Christ. And one of those things is the reflection of Christ's love to your wife. A self-denying, self-sacrificing love that includes edifying her and building her up in the faith. I haven't been to seminary. That's one of the reasons they make books. I don't know all that stuff. Well, that's one of the reasons you can pick up the Bible. You can read it and say, well, I don't understand everything in this chapter, but it's the word of God. And as much as we can understand, we want to walk in it. It's not hard. It's just that our flesh doesn't want to do it. You don't have to go to seminary. That is exactly why so many catechisms so many confessions exist. Martin Luther wrote his confessions for the coal miners. Because those men labored in those mines all day long. You think they were tired? But they could come home and they could open up Luther's smaller or larger catechism and say, Who made you? What are the Ten Commandments, children? It's right there. You have it. God has provided it. Are you using it? Are you loving your wife as Christ loves the church? If not, I know that this will sound harsh to some, but I would simply say, why do you think you're a Christian? If you can avoid something so obvious, 
Love your wife as Christ loved the church. That means what I do is for her well-being. All right, let's get after it. Why do you think that doesn't happen? Well, there's a lot of answers to that, but one of them is there's no heart for it. This is sober. Dropping stumbling blocks in front of other people began in the family. When the family is not doing what God has called it to do, it will sin and it will find the consequences sooner or later. When a family can be such a joyful, wonderful encouragement. When your wife can be looking forward with joy when you come home. She's been laboring all day and you're going to sit down with the family. And you sing to the Lord and, and dad prays for everybody there. Starts teaching the older children how to pray. and Even some of the younger ones sits and talks with his wife and encourages her. There are days when women want to hear a voice older than 10. That's a, I know it's true. <laughs> I just come home from work and Myra went, oh, an adult voice. <laughs> All right. But are you just coming in and griping about your day or do you come home and edify your wife? Now, I'm not saying you can't come and say what happened at work. That's all fine. But the point is, do you love your wife as commanded by the Apostle Paul under the influence of the Holy Spirit from the head of the church, Jesus Christ? Jesus said, I lived like this. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And now look to me and I will give you the strength to start edifying and encouraging your wife. No one's going to do this perfectly, but do you do it? Or is that, oh, well, you know, once in a while when I can. You may have a great shock at the day of judgment. Are you stumbling your wife? The one that you stood before God and said, yes, I'm going to love her. I'm going to walk with her. We're going to be man and wife. It's going to be great. Well, maybe it's not so great. Because when I start finding out, I will tell you, I've worked for years in family reform and people bail on it all the time. It sounds so good. I'm going to have a family. I'm going to have a wife. And, you know, I'm going to try to be godly. I want my wife to try to be a virtuous and a, and a holy Christian woman. And we're going to have 157 children. And we're going to homeschool. And we're going to do all of this great stuff. In about six months, a lot of them are dropping out. Because it's hard. It's hard to love like Christ. But that's why the more time you spend with Christ, the better you get at it. The more you learn from the word of God, learning how to love, learning how to be tender, learning how to be firm. Many of us don't get those. Some are just tender. You can't be just tender. There are times when you've got to be firm. There are some that are just firm. No, there have got to be times when you are gentle and you are gracious. Jesus could love his disciples, block-headed as they were. He could say, get behind me, Satan! Because he loved Peter. 
there are times when we have to do things that are not pleasant. Do you think everything was pleasant for Christ? How many times did he teach his disciples and they didn't get it? No, he's very tender. He's very gracious. He's also firm. And he will deal with us where we are. This isn't about dropping this great big guilt thing on people. It's waking people up and saying, this is a command. Are you doing that? If you're not doing that, I can assure you that you're causing your bride to stumble. I can't tell you through the years that one of the saddest things for me is when a woman sits in my presence and in the office, I always have my wife there, and she's weeping and saying, if he would just pray with the children, if he would just come home and act like he's engaged with us instead of disappearing into another room. I'm talking about people who are members of churches. My brethren, husbands, wives are an important part of living in the kingdom of God because it shows forth the saving power and the transforming power of God's grace. I don't know how to do this. Talk to Brother Clarence. Look at all the children he's got and ask him about family worship. You can talk to several of the men here who have very large families. And they manage it. The problem is not so much busyness. As it is. Lack. Of interest. I've even had people say. I've never even heard of some kind of thing. Called family worship. What kind of weird church is this? Hmm. What does that tell you. About their exposure to American religion. Throughout the history of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the churches were the healthiest when the families were the healthiest. And when the families were healthy, they were worshiping the living God. A clock cannot be right. I'm about to lose you, so I want to just bring some of this to a close do you believe listen carefully do you believe that there will be no consequences for neglecting to love your wife do you really believe that that's what Eve didn't take seriously what God said Eve did not believe that there would be consequences for eating the forbidden fruit Eve set a stumbling block before her husband, Adam, and what was the consequence? God created her husband to be her head, but now he would rule over her with a sinful nature. Boy, that's been the, the cause of a lot of heartache. The one you have to submit to is a sinner. That was one of the consequences. Cain, Eve's first son, murdered Abel, his brother. And the rest, as we say, is history. Is this a highly dysfunctional family? Yes. They needed the grace of Christ. I'm not here to say that we worship the family. 
We worship the living God. We worship the Christ who saved us. But part of our worship is walking with him daily and obeying what he's commanded us to do. Are you making your wife stumble? Is she one of the women that is longing and praying that there would just be some spark in you that would look like love for Christ and love for her? I hope every woman can say yes. But if Christ said, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, can you believe that and live a self-centered life? How can you believe that and live a self-centered life? You can stumble your wife by not communicating with her. Christ communicates with us. You can stumble your wife by not spending enough time with her. You can. Christ is always there for us. You can stumble your wife by not encouraging her in her labors at home. You can stumble your wife if you had a bad temper and you don't repent of it. You can stumble your wife by not praying with her or for her. You can stumble your wife by not taking care of the things she needs. You can stumble your wife by acting one way at church and living the opposite at home. And you're stumbling your children, by the, by the way, in, the, in that same act. For even Christ pleased not himself. So, my dear brethren, we'll stop there. We'll continue. But the hope is Jesus Christ. He's the one that we're to model from. And he's the one that has saved us from our sins. Remember, you will have desires. And your desires will be according to to your view do you have this view husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it no excuses learn to love Christ and then manifest that love in your house his love is clear his love is available his love he desires to manifest his love to his people. It's in the word and it's by the spirit. So we will continue, God willing, later. Let's pray. Father, I thank thee that thy word is a two-edged sword. Sometimes we need to have it pushed into the hilt. We need to understand that our nation is in great trouble because our families and individuals are in great trouble. They have been given false religion, pagan religion. They have been given uh, false philosophies. They've been given Everything but the word of God. I pray with all of my heart that we would see within this congregation a genuine, a genuine move of thy spirit where we love one another, where we love our wives, where our wives reverence us and where we bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I'm thankful for those who do that here. Bless them. 
Bless them. Double, triple, bless them. Fill them with thy mighty spirit and help them to shine the glorious gospel light of Jesus Christ in their homes, in their work, in their lives. For those of us that don't understand these things, Lord, please give understanding. And we pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.